the, the, the Boga Honey Podcast. That's why I, I tried not to have camps on my bow. I don't have to deal with slippage or anything Shut like that. Up. Just put a new string on there, you're fine. What is Boga? But seriously, that's the dumbest thing ever. It, it go, I am all about Just strap it to your pack. Really appreciate the fact that you're from Michigan and not Georgia. So you don't want to be the next Mark Kenyon. No. I'm a shit show. <laughs> that's, that spot's taken. You can see how pathetic Jared's face is right now. <laughs> because that's how it looked. It was just like, is this good enough? Before we jump into this episode, we have to thank a few of our partners that help make this podcast possible. First up is First Light. Great camo, fusion, cypher. You get to pick your option, or you can go that new ash gray color. Uh, they make fantastic merino. They make great stuff for elk hunting, great stuff for hunting down south, great stuff for deer hunting by us. Um, so we rock it all year long. We love it. Check it out, firstlight.com. If you guys are in search of a new pack, then you guys have to check out the Seek Outside Short Tail. It's designed to cover three main uses, which are the western big game hunts, it's tree sand friendly, and it's great for backpacking long trails. And it can pack out close to 200 pounds. You could carry out a Jared. You can carry out one of me if you use want. The, use the promo code BOGA, all caps, for 5% off your order. Jared's sold separately. If you're looking to get into the tree saddle game this year, then you guys need to check out Trophy Line. These guys have been around since the 1960s, and they've been doing it ever since. We're going to be rocking their Ambush Light tree saddles this year. They're lightweight, they're comfy, and they're extremely easy to use for that beginner. Head over to their website and use the promo code BOGAHUNTING10 for 10% off your order. If you're looking for a quality, handmade, top-of-the-line traditional bow, look no further than Bivouac Bow Company. Jim and Georgia there are excellent boyers, handmade, custom. They are precise, and they make fantastic shooting bows. If you're looking for a great bow, check them out, bivouacbowco.com. So if you guys are like me and you find that buying new arrows can be completely cumbersome and annoying where you have to go to the bow shop and have them cut your arrows and glue in the inserts, then you guys need to check out Vector Custom Shop. All of their arrows are purpose-built, meaning they're going to take your draw weight, your draw length, and a bunch of other specs that you want, and they're going to actually make the arrow for you and then send it to you. And they have direct-to-consumer prices. So check these guys out, VectorCustomShop.com. There are a lot of good apps out there, but if you're a hunter and you're looking for a do-it-all app, check out HuntWise. First of all, they have GPS software that tells you where you are, where boundaries are. You can share locations. But it's also a, a community of hunters where you can all share what you're experiencing. We'll post there pretty regularly. Actually, that is where I have my only social media account. So if you want to see what's going on in my mind, go to HuntWise and check us out. All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, we have today William Altman here uh, joining us. This is our, we were talking to, before we started recording, this is our first father-son um, kind of tandem that we've record, uh, recorded with. So we we recorded a few episodes back with John, and, and now we have his son, William. William, how are you? Good, man. How you doing? Good, good. It's good to have you here. Um, been following your stuff for a while, uh, you know, both what you do personally and, and all the bucks 
pictures that you've been sending me. Uh, but you know, your, your professional work as well. You want to introduce like who you are, uh, to people who may, who may not know. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, in a career path sense, I am director of photography at Sigmanta, um, which is produces all of Donnie Vincent's content. So I've been working for them for 10 years professionally. Um, so pretty much everything that you've ever seen of Donnie, I've been there and was pretty much running the cameras for a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the commercial work through Sigmanta as well. So that's kind of what I do for a career. Um, but you know, on my time off between hunts, I, or trips, whatever, I hunt a lot myself. (laughs) So that's my sort of passion. Um, and lately been trying to turn that into, you know, something that other people can, benefit from as well and watch um you know filming and doing social and whatever else um just around hunting big deer in maine which is kind of unique i guess yeah you guys do it a little different out there you guys have i mean maine is it's a very unique place anyways um but you guys i mean have a pretty unique approach to it i gotta imagine though i mean switching from being behind the camera to in front of it is, is that is that a hard transition to make um uh, probably not. It's not that hard. Um, I mean, you know, I've spent so much time sort of directing and just sort of, you know, making everything look good behind the camera, in front of the camera, that I kind of know what, what to do in front as well yeah. now, by now, you know. Um, it's definitely different to, you know, not always have to be the guy hauling all the gear around. Right. <laughs> Which can be nice because, you know, I, you know, oftentimes have, 30 to 40 pounds of camera equipment, you know, on top of maybe everything else with camping and whatever. Um, so that can be kind of nice. I got to ask now, what, what's more like, uh, stressful being behind the camera or being behind the, the bow? Behind the, the bow. I don't know. I don't feel a lot of stress, I guess, being on camera. Um, I also, I, I don't feel a ton of stress behind the camera. I mean, you know, I, I, I just do my job and I do it pretty well. And I, you know, I've been doing it for a while, so I guess I was stressed maybe in the beginning, but I've, I've, I've done it so long now that I feel, I feel pretty comfortable, you know? Being in front of the camera, it doesn't really wig me out, so, like, I don't feel stressed there. I mean, I just feel normal stress in terms of, yeah. you know, making a good shot and, and whatever, um, which is any bow hunters, you know? The regular stress, stress. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's been, it's been a different transition. You know, I, I've kept pretty quiet in, in my sort of, career and my hunting you know path and everything i i haven't really been a super social i've never been a social person in general so you know growing up and everything else it was you know i had very few friends and just spent a lot of my time in the woods and you know it was just me and dad pretty much hunting together yeah um and you know through social media and all that i just i didn't really i didn't really care i guess to share that much but recently you know it's been you know trying to figure out how to make it something that I can do more full time, um, which is a challenge. I'm sure, you know, as you know, yeah. Yep. Um, but you know, doing it full time means, you know, I got to start being more social. So, um, we're starting to try to share and and film our hunts and share our experiences and push all that out there. And I, I think that we've come to realize that we've got sort of a set of skills and, and, you know, a success sort of track record that's sort of uncommon up here. So, you know, a lot of people are interested in like, how are we, how are we pulling that off? How are we, you know, shooting big deer maybe on a yearly or, or close to yearly basis? That's something that 
people want to see. So working out to sort of share. Well, and it's it's unique the way you guys do it. I mean, it's, you know, if anybody has watched it, um, Seabucks, you guys put together was, I mean, a great series, really well done. And, and your approach to hunting is not, it's not your, your typical, it's not the standard, you know, go walk out to your, your tree stand that's in the edge of a cornfield and, and wait. Yeah, it's very different than what you would normally see, like in the Midwest. The biggest difference is we've got, you know, a state that's 90 plus percent forested, heavily forested, you know, densely forested. So, um, you know, we've got, you know, tons of ground that is just available for the animals, for the deer to just hide. Um, right. And, you know, we're hunting, you know, thousands of acres of wood, straight woods, you know, whereas, you know, in, in the Midwest, you might have, you know, a thousand acre farm would be a huge farm and it would probably be 80% field right. or, you know, at least maybe 50% fields at least, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a very different sort of lay of the land. So here, you know, here it, it takes a long time to find good spots. You can walk. Well, I mean, just for an example, I went up um, to an area yesterday or two days ago with Josh and um, kind of a new area we wanted to scout out. And we walked two miles. We had a tracker going. We walked two miles before we found our first deer poop. Holy cow. <laughs> two miles, like two, two straight miles of deep, like what? I mean, we walked through like heavily forested deep woods yeah um and you know at, at the two mile mark we found a little bit of sign we found you know got into a spot where there's a few deer um and then you know turned that loop came back you know it was like a four and a half mile walk and we were planning on trying to put cameras out we had four or five cameras in our bag and 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 we found one place that we saw was worthy of a camera in a four and a half mile walk is it that they're spread so spread out or are they just so concentrated deep um it, it varies and it varies very in our state here in maine it's very unique um and has a ton of diversity in the state mm-hmm. so you know we've got everything from the southern part of the state which is going to be more urban um you know higher deer population smaller pieces of wood um you've got sort of down east which is coastal which gets sort of a easy a little bit easier winter um, yep. because of the sea breeze and everything. Um, and then you've got, you know, which is mediumly, you know, populated with, with people. Um, yep. so, but still really big pieces of wood. Uh, and then you can go, you know, go up North and you start getting into very big, you know, very low density deer and also people, you know, there's just not many people up there. So, um, we were, up, you know, we were up North a little further. And so the deer density was just less than, than what we were maybe used to on the coast. Yeah. Um, a lot of our stuff we do on the coast here. We're sort of in the down east region, um, uh, kind of where down east sort of starts, I guess. We've got a pretty good sort of deer population around mm-hmm. here, and it, we've got enough big woods that the deer can hide. Um, we do have quite a few hunters, but we've got enough, like I said, big pieces that the deer can sort of just slip away and not, not ever be seen. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, on the mainland, and then we do the whole island thing, which is kind of a whole nother you know, bag of tricks, I guess. Yeah, which is boating through the ocean, which is what not many whitetail hunters are taking a boat in in a channel or something like that. The whole boating, you know, the whole boating thing, I mean, sometimes it's miles out to an island, you know, in the Atlantic, and this might be in November, right? It's pretty pretty rugged in the winter. Yeah. And so you get out there, and it, you know, involves camping, and um, all the islands are different, you know, some 
some are open to hunting, some are privately owned. You know, you got to have permission, maybe. You got to have, there's just all these different variables. Every island has its own set of challenges. Um, and we've just, you know, taken that on for 20 years, trying to sort of establish spots where we're allowed to go. And, yeah. but the islands are cool because there's even less people hunting them right. usually. Um, every, I guess, again, everyone's different. You know, some of them get pressure and some of them don't get a lot of pressure. So, but it gives, you know, if you can find one that doesn't get a lot of pressure, there's a chance that there's a buck there that's quite old because no one's ever shot him. And, you know, he doesn't have really any predators. Right. He's just kind of hanging out literally on an island. Yep. We also find very old deer here on the mainland. It's not like some, it's not like some secret recipe for success, you know? Right. Um, it's just a very cool experience. It's a cool way to hunt. Um, and, you know, you can kind of get away from people and you're usually not running into anyone else, you know, which is fun and cool. Yeah, it's an adventure that way. I feel like, though, any type of hunting you guys, I mean, a lot of the, the, the ways you guys hunt up there are more adventure type. I, I just was thinking, uh, getting ready to, to talk to you. Um, did you have Napster when you were a kid? Jerry, do you know what Napster is? Was it Napster? LimeWire? Napster? It's like where you download illegal like videos or music, whatever you want, right? So, yeah, I, I remember. Yeah. yeah. So when I was a kid, uh, you know, everybody's downloading music. I would download these hunting videos uh, off of it. And I, I remember, I don't know what the actual title was, but it was a guy um, still hunting in the northern part of Maine, right? And so, uh, you know, following tracks, and it was like, it was him. It was a whole video of just one hunt of his from beginning to end. Um, and I remember thinking that is, I mean, that is just the coolest, like, woodsman-ist way to hunt. I, I just loved it. Might have been, might have been the Benoit. Yeah, um, might have been. I mean, they used to film, yeah, they used to film some stuff um, way back. I mean, they would have been, you know, some of the first, like, hunting video content in, in the state, you know. Um, very famous, wrote a bunch of books. Um, you know, those guys were still to this day, um, you know, top of the, top of the chain. Uh, in terms of like big buck hunters in the state of Maine or in the Northeast in general. Um, now their, you know, their technique of course was primary, you know, primarily was tracking. That was their big. Yeah. Tracking them. It is Benoit. I'm looking them up. Yeah. And now, now we've got, you know, like how blood would be, you know, more, a little bit more of a modern, yep. you know, guy that's still going after it right now. Um, Benoit, there's still some of the Benoit's are still, are still, you know, a lot of the, Benoit's that were sort of famous and wrote the books, you know, are, are passed away or getting older. Um, but, you know, there's some of the sons and, and, you know, they're still getting after it. Yeah. Um, but like Larry Benoit, you know, that was a big name. Yep. Larry. Well, and they were, they had that classic, you know, Northeast, like, uh, plaid, green plaid, you know, with the, <laughs> the lever action rifle. Yeah. 30 out six, you know, um, did that whole thing. So, um, those guys, those guys were cool. I never really got to meet any of them. They were sort of a little bit before my time. Um, yeah. I did, you know, I did track with Hal Blood last year. We tracked down a big buck and he shot it with his muzzleloader. So that's pretty sweet. You got to learn a lot doing that. Like I always just wanted to to go with a guy who's a who's a master, just so I can, you know, suck in anything that you know is coming out. Yeah, it's a really cool, it's a really cool technique. Um, it's something that we don't do a lot of. Um, we just we don't usually get the snow down here on the coast right. that we need um to during like november we, we start getting snow but it's usually later than they get it up north yeah um so the season's usually wrapping up and uh it's, it's 
you know, it's no big deal to drive up. It's maybe an hour or two hours. You start getting into good snow, but you know, it's hard to leave everything that we've been working on down right. here. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got deer that we've been after for years and years and we've got spots that feel really good. And we're, you know, we're getting closer and closer and it's like, you know, maybe we get a good snow up North and we're like, ah, oh, it'd be fun to go tracking. But like, I, I don't really want to not you go got your hunt, whole system. You know? Yep. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to miss you know a couple of days of that could be the right day. You know. Well, and uh, I would imagine tracking and still hunting with that that recurve you've been shooting is uh, not not an easy hunt. Yeah, the recurve is a new a new challenge, I guess. Um, How's that going? Into that, but it's going good. Um, you know, I used to shoot like a recurve, or I used to shoot a longbow. I had a little longbow when I was a kid. You know, yeah. and um, I mean, I can remember. I mean, every book i had was you know indians and native americans and skill, you know survival skills and um yep. my dad had the whole set of bowyer's bibles oh yeah you know all about building bows and so i mean i i mean literally i was like 10 years old this is what i was reading you know um i was reading all these books on how to make my own bow and you know hunt hunt you know traditionally and all that stuff so um but i you know growing up i got right at the sort of time, you know, in the, in the mid nineties, you know, late nineties was like when, you know, tr- you know, traditional was sort of tapering off, compound yeah. was always picking up, you know, when I was 11, I was able to pull 35 pounds, which is like the legal limit and state. Um, yep. but I, you know, couldn't do it with a traditional bow. I do it with a compound. So I started hunting with, a, I had a little PSE spider, you know, and nice. I was pulling like 35 pounds and I went out when I was 11 and shot my first, you know, deer with a bow um perfect shot like pass through the whole thing you know and so i ever since then i just you know, kept evolving through compound and i just never really took on took the time to really learn how to shoot a traditional bow yeah um which you know are you are you one of you guys shoots traditional I right do. yeah yeah you do okay so i mean as you know right it takes like a ton of discipline and a ton of, of, of time to sort of develop the the shot sequence to like be accurate. Yeah. Um, and I've never, I just never took it on. I mean, I, you know, I shoot one every once in a while, but it was just flinging arrows at a target. Uh, last, I would say last year, uh, I was in Alaska for, uh, two months straight, yeah. um, filming. Um, and the guy that I was working with, um, sort of my, my assistant, my, my camera, camera operator that was working with me, uh, TC Worley, who had, who's arrow, the Arrowhead, yep. uh, you know, that podcast. Yeah. So I was working with TC, and he brought his recurve, you know. We had it in camp, I think, at uh, at least two, maybe three of the, the hunts we were on. We had we, He brought it with. So we were shooting, we were just shooting, you know, at stumps and moss mounds, you know, just around base camp. And uh, he sort of started to teach me a little bit of, like, the technique, and, you know, started to click and I was like, wow, I'm actually like starting to pull something together here. Yeah. And I can actually hit pretty well. Um, so I was like, well, this sort of makes sense now. I feel like I could do it. So I ended up getting a bow and, and I've been shooting it for a couple months. And, you know, I'm to the point, I'm to the point now where if I'm going to a stand where I feel like my shots under, you know, 20 yards or under, yeah. like, I'm taking my reaper. Oh yeah. You know, um, you know, I, I just, I feel good. Like I feel good. Like I'm going to make it work. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and, you know, I'm actually shooting pretty well all the way out to 30 yards. I don't know if I would take a shot at a deer at 30 yards. But, right. 
Um, I mean, at Target, I can hit it most every shot. I'm hitting my kills on at 30 yards. Yeah, it's been it's been a pretty cool experience. Um, I am looking forward to shooting a deer with it, you know. It's a, it's a good – well, are you shooting instinctive? Or are you shooting, like, gap? Or what, what's your aiming technique, your method? Uh, I'm gap shooting, I'm, you know, using my point. Um, I'm, like, basically point on at 30 yards. Okay. Um, so 20 yards, I'm, you know, a couple, whatever it is, two feet under or something like that. Yeah. Is that something you met? Like, so I've I've gone, I've done the the crawl, and I've done I'm doing instinctive now just to kind of try them all. I use like a fixed crawl. Yep. Um, so I'm crawled down like uh, maybe maybe a half inch or three quarters of an inch below the knot. Yep. And I just have a fixed crawl. I have like a like a third knocking point basically where I just use my you know put my fingers there. Um, and then like I said, like at 30 yards, it's point on, and at 20, I'm like two feet under so i just know what that is you know just go for it and 20 yards is usually if i'm shooting well you know i'm putting four or five six inch groups at 20 yards yeah yeah that's that's plenty man and it's it's uh, i'm excited i'm you're shooting what a pse right yeah i have a pse shaman yeah we're working with pse and uh so they you know they sent me one of those and uh it's been shooting great like i mean it's like i said it's shooting six inch or less groups 20 yards yeah so I feel pretty good about it. I got like a out of six hundred, a little over six hundred grain arrow. I'm shooting with a two hundred grain uh, single bevel on the front, and okay. uh, it's hitting pretty hard. What broadheads are you shooting? I, I got. I'm only asked because I'm I'm like trying to figure out what I want to shoot. Yeah, I go through a lot of different stuff. What I have right now, honestly, is some hand me down stuff from Donnie. Um, nice. I'm, I've got grizzly sticks on the front right now. Um, okay. He was shooting grizzly stick stuff for a while. Um, but if I had to buy a broadhead right now for my trap bow, I'd probably buy, uh, the Rocky mountain, you know, the cutthroats. That was the one I was looking at. So that's actually good. You say that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, we've shot those through our compounds for a while and, you know, they've performed well. Um, I just like those guys. I've met them. I've, I've done work with them and they're, they're, you know, great dudes. So I would probably buy those if I was going to just go buy anything. Yeah, no, I that's see that's how I've got like a mix of a couple different broadheads right now, and so it's like uh, I should probably standardize. But anyways, I digress. Um, those a lot of those questions were for me. <laughs> the Rocky Mountain stuff's relatively. I mean, it's a good price for what you're getting. It's a great broadhead at a pretty good price, you know. Yeah, it looks so, like about sixty-five bucks. Here, I'm yeah. looking at them. Yep, I'm gonna get one of those. Yeah, I, I was in the shop the other day. I talked to him, um, uh, my brother's wedding. Uh had a wedding out, out in the Denver area. So I stopped in, I was trying to get broadheads, which they didn't have anyways. Well, Hey, I want to actually, you know, spend some time talking about your, uh, your approach to, to hunting these deer. Um, and you, you know, we've got the rut coming up, right. Uh, and when this podcast comes out, it'll, it'll kind of hit right before the rut. Um, and so, you know, like starting now, starting with a pre rut, which, you know, to me is, right at the end of October, maybe in the twenties, um, on, uh, what, what are you guys doing? Like what, what's your approach to, to hunting big, big wood, uh, big woods bucks out there in, in Maine? Um, well, it varies and it's, you know, evolving all the time. Yeah. Um, I would say that we're, we're, we're in a, a big learning curve right now. Um, where I would say in the last like three years, we've learned a lot. Yeah. Um, and so we're starting to take this knowledge, and then it's then apply it and then and seeing what our results are yeah um, but in terms of like gaining knowledge on big deer and what they do and when they do it and why they do it 
that's sort of like been building and building. And now we're at the point where we're starting to put those things actually into, into effect. Right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, right now, I mean, we're, we're early, kind of mid October. Um, the, the movement has been terrible up here lately. Yeah. Um, Why the last that? like two weeks, I think what's happened it's been a kind of a weird year. We had a really early, we had a super dry summer. I mean, we didn't get rain for two and a half months straight, like zero rain. So um, we had very dry conditions, and we had we a ton of acorns, yep. and they all fell really early. Like, they were falling in August, um, which normally they would, you know, kind of be more falling in mid to late September and kind of through October. But we dropped, I mean, all of our acorns are on the ground, like yep. all of them. And a lot of them are cleaned up by now. So they had tons and tons and tons of food. Um, we had very dry conditions, and then we had super high winds. So all the trees were stressed, and then the high winds just literally blew all the acorns out at once. Yep. Um, so there were trees with hundreds and hundreds, thousands of acorns, and deer were literally just... And we have pictures. It's interesting to see because we've got cameras under like certain oak trees that for like two weeks just had tons and tons of deer and then all of a sudden just no deer yeah basically what happened is they ate all the acorns and then they moved on so um they were just not they were just not moving i mean they were just laying under a single tree i mean basically you know um so so for the last two weeks it's been really slow but um just in the last like four or five days uh things have really started to change um ramping up uh in in movement we're getting a lot more pictures of bigger bucks and you know just deer in general and um so normally you know every year that's the thing up here too it's just every year is so different you know because we, we hunt you know food sources change of the oaks like maybe one year we won't have oaks at all um and then you know apple trees is a big kind of early season strategy yep. this year we had almost no apples anywhere um so like our whole early season game was kind of thrown off a little bit right um and, and then on top of that, this huge acorn crop, this whole sort of early season was just weird. Um, right. Strategies for going into the rut. I mean, one of the things that we've been doing a lot of sort of research on is, is scrapes, like hunting scrapes, you yeah. know. And not all scrapes are the same, you know. There's like big community scrapes in very specific spots. And those are the ones that you focus on. Um, and finding, you know, where those are and which ones really matter and then running, you know, cameras on them and sort of learning when bucks are there and by what time. And we've been doing a lot more, there's been a lot more focus around scrapes the last couple of years than we've ever had. Are you hunting over scrapes or are you just throwing trail cameras out? We're, we're doing both. Um, the cameras, you know, like I said, the last couple of years has been a lot of research sort of with cameras. Um, and, you know, we've been sitting over scrapes too, but like, you know, we'll put, we might find a scrape, you know, in the middle of nowhere, way off the beaten path. And we're like, Hey, you know, let's put a camera on it. And then as you know, cameras are, then when you're two miles back in the woods, you don't get to them until, you know, the season's over right? in January. And you go pull the card and you're like, Oh my God, like there was, you know, three shooter bucks in here for two weeks and they were pounding the scrapes in daylight. Yeah. You know? Um, and you didn't know, you didn't know that was happening until it was too late. It's over, but you can take that knowledge into the next season, right? 
Yeah, that's that. That's that. What one re- week rule or, or or whatever? I think your dad actually mentioned it when he was on, where it's like next year, within a week of when he was doing that last year, he'll do it again. Yeah, there's that whole that that whole one week theory where exactly that they're they're gonna run a, a very similar cycle the next year, provided they have a very similar sort of layout. You know, right. things might change a little, like you know, an acorn year versus a non-acorn year, for example. Um, you know, where you might have a huge food source in an area that last year didn't have any food or very little food, you know, and it should be browse or whatever. Right. Um, but so that, that, that alters things a little bit. Um, but scrape hunting is, you know, it's, it's interesting because you might sit on a scrape for five days in a row and not see a single deer and you think you're not. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, the big one walks by and he checks the scrape and moves on. And like I said, that's something that we've been really focusing on. And, it's it's not you know everybody thinks that you know people find scrapes they're like oh well, I found five scrapes you know behind my house and it's like yeah well that's just some buck that was in there you know overnight pissed off and he's scraping scrape. stuff yeah um, yeah and it doesn't mean that he's he's ever going to come back um, and you know you know you might get you might put a camera on it and see a few bucks like hit at night or something like that but that's not the kind of scrapes we're talking about yeah. um, and it's it's kind of like signpost rubs are the same basically the same thing as yep. a big community scrape. Um, and that's something that happens a little more commonly like up north. We don't have a ton of signposts down here on the coast. Yeah. Um, but I find I have I have one in particular that I know of and it's in the weirdest spot. Um, it's not even like it's it, it's like seventy five yards from some houses. I mean it's not even back in the woods. But right. I put a camera on that thing the other day and I think it was only out like four days. And I pulled the card just today and I had eight different bucks, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you know, varying, varying in ages from spike horns all the way up to like the biggest ones, like a five-year-old 10 pointer, but like eight different bucks on that signpost in four days. And some of these bucks it's crazy because, you know, I've got cameras in a field that's 200 yards away. I mean, in multiple cameras, three or four cameras, you know, on apple trees and, little food plot that I have, um, you know, clover, all this stuff. And some of the bucks on that signpost, I haven't gotten pictures of all summer in those fields and on those food sources. So, I mean, those bucks are coming from somewhere else just to rub on that. Yeah. At this time of year, this is their spot. Yep. They're just coming to rub on that scrape, spread their scent, and they're going back to where they came from. And they're not, you know, they're not walking another 200 yards to go eat apples under a tree that's right there. You know, yep. um, it's, it's really interesting stuff. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's, like I said, that this is all stuff that's sort of been coming up in the last like five years. We've really started to learn a lot about. It's really hard to learn in this state because you just, you don't, you know, there's so much wood yeah. and there's so much woods that don't really matter too. Right. Like you can be walking, like I said, for two miles and not see a single deer, you know, piece of deer poop. Yep. And it's like, so, you know, that those aren't the spots you want to be in, but you got to walk two miles to figure that out. And a lot of guys just don't, you know, and it's not going to walk, they're not going to do it. You know, I walk two miles through the thick woods or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, but that's what you got to do. You just got to cover. I mean, I mean, we're, we're constantly all year long. Like, you know, you get an idea about a new spot, like just go in there and like put the boot leather down yep. and, and, and crush it and walk it out. Um, and, and just figure that spot out, you know, at least get an idea of, of you know, is there a good sign in there? Is there, good you know terrain good lay of the land whatever um you're just not gonna know you can't you can't assume anything here 
Um, you can see, I mean, we've got big pieces of wood that you might think there'd be big bucks in that we run cameras and get, there's just none in there. Um, you know, it looks good from the surface, but they're, they're not there. And you could spend, you know, your whole season hunting in there and there's just not a big buck there to shoot. Like if you're looking for big deer, like there just might not be one. Yeah. Um, um, so that, that, that's one of the other things that I would say is important, um, to sort of pay attention to, you know, on that, on that note is some areas, it's really funny how some areas will stack up yeah. um, and then, and then, and then fall off. So like maybe two years ago, there were, you know, really no shooters in here in this specific, you know, 500 acre chunk of wood. And that was two years ago. And you're like, okay, well, there just really isn't anything exciting in there. And then all of a sudden, two years later, you know, those, you know, three-year-old type deer that were in there are now five and, you know, provided they live. And now all of a sudden there's three five-year-olds in there. And you're like, whoa, like yeah. now there's three shooters. In there. And, and it just happened in a two-year span, you know? Um, so that that is something you really got to pay attention to. And you got to pay attention to when it falls off. Um, we've also had the same thing happen, right? There's three shooters in this piece. And then all of a sudden the next year, they're all gone. Yeah. And, you know, they're either dead or they left or or something happened and you know now that piece that was amazing last year is this year is just not as good um and so you know trying to put yourself in in spots that stack in your favor right you know um if, you know if you're gonna hunt a piece of wood that has one shooter in it and you've got another piece of woods that has three shooters in it i mean right it makes sense no brainer where there's three shooters yeah um so that, that, you know, if you're going to spend a bunch of time in the woods, like your chances are three times as good. So, um, that's, that's something that we're learning too. You know, the, the more sort of time spent out in the woods, sort of gathering this information sort of stacks those odds in our favor. Um, and, you know, running a cameras is a big one. It's, it's super hard up here, but you, you never see them, right? right? You never see these deer. So it's not something visual. You can't, you, know, you can't drive around and glass the field or, you know, or see, I mean, you never even see them at night on the roads. I mean, they're just like, you just never see them. So, so the only way to find them is you either read sign, which you can only do so much reading sign, you know, I mean, you can find rubs, you can, see, you can assume, well, that looks like a big track. That rub looks nice. So there's probably a big deer in here, but you know, could also be a big foot, you know, three-year-old with a, with not a great rack. Right. And, you know, he, he made a big rub and it's like, that's not, you know, you know, everybody's got a different flavor on what they want to chase in terms of deer. Yeah. But for us, you know, it's, it's five plus year old. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard to just, you know, read sign. And then on the, you know, on, like I was saying before, you might read sign in January when you're walking around and that was, you know, from bucks in November that maybe are gone now. Um, they may be, you know, they may be dead. They maybe got shot or they ran, you know, ran off, went somewhere else, wintered somewhere else, and then never came home, you know? Um, so, you know, spot might look great one year and the next year it's just not the same. So the cameras are, are, are the best way of figuring out who's in the area and, and how many of them are there. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I got two questions about that. to kind of bring up, um, first is, uh, community scrapes. When you're when you're trying to identify or even a, a signpost rub, 
uh, like, w what are you looking for? What, what are the things that are cluing you off that that's that's telling you that that's what you're looking at? Well, I mean, signposts are usually pretty obvious in right. the sense that they're like giant, ripped up trees. Yeah. Um, which doesn't, you know, it's not, it doesn't look like a normal rub, right? I mean, a normal rub on a three inch sapling, you know, that was ripped up, you know, last week is one thing. But when you find a signpost, it's usually on a, you know, four to eight inch or even bigger tree that's been rubbed for the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, you know, you can see fresh rub, you can see old rub and it's pretty impressive. I mean, I'll send you a picture of that one from today. I mean, it looks like it was shot with a 50 cal. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing is just shredded. Um, and so that, that's your signpost. Now, I, like I said, I don't have, you want to talk about, you know, you want to talk to somebody about signposts, like how, like talk to Hal Blood, you know, he knows a lot more about them than I do up there where he's in, you know, the Jackman area. Like there's more to it, more to signposts up there than scrapes. Down here, we have more to scrapes than signposts, you know? Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, I, I, I mean, my theory up there on, on scrapes is that there's just so many less, like there's just way less deer per square mile. Mm -hmm. And so they just, you know, it's harder for them to go to a scrape and, you know, find any deer sign because there just maybe wasn't any deer hitting the scrape in the last, you know, what, you know, two weeks or sure. something. So it's like, why make the scrapes, you know? Um, but the, the, they have signposts up there that that's sort of their jam. So but in terms of like community scrapes down here, a lot of it has to do with sort of the location of the scrape itself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of times that, you know, we'll go into an area and before we've even found the scrape, we sort of, we sort of can feel out where the scrape's going to be, yeah. you know, um, it's usually up on a ridge or like on a knob, um, kind of up like higher on higher ground. And it's sort of in an area where, you know, a lot of pieces of woods kind of come together and maybe there's pockets of deer, you know, to the north, to the south. And sort of that north pocket of deer and that south pocket of deer are sort of, you know, hitting each other in a certain, you know, like, like it's like two different edges of like a population. Yeah. And that edge, a lot of times will have a big community scrape on it because, you know, the deer from the north are sort of checking in on that. The deer from the south are checking in on that and they're all sort of communicating. There. Yeah. Um, and like I said, a lot of times they're up on up on ridges or up on knobs, like more often they're up on higher ground. Um and, you know, they're usually legit, right? They're two, three feet across, and they're usually dug out, you know, four inches because they've yeah. been scraping them for years. Those are pretty sweet. You, you get on the right community scrape, and, and you run a camera on it, and you'll realize pretty fast, like, wow, if I sit here for a week straight, like, there's a pretty good chance of seeing a big buck, you know? Because there's almost, you know, once a week there's or more, there's a daylight shooter on hitting the scrape. Yeah. So that's... That's about the best. I mean, that's about the best you can ask for here in Maine. I mean, you know, there's just, there's just no, it just doesn't come easy, you know? I mean, I've got, you know, we've got food plots and all that stuff. And it's like, these big deer, they, they just don't, they just don't play that game. Like, right. They don't, they they're don't come out into that stuff in daylight. They're old and they're just, they're just not, they're just, that's just a different, it's like a different kind of deer, yeah. you know? Um, they're just not used to, 
you know, open areas, field. I mean, they're just, they're used to big woods. Like they grew up yeah. in big woods. Well, and that's probably how they grew up. I mean, they don't, the reason they're big is because they weren't hitting the food plots, uh, you know, an hour before night. And just not, they're just, they didn't grow up with it in their system. You know, yeah. like they, they know how to, they know how to survive in the big dark woods and they, and they do their browse and they eat their acorns and that's their, that's their game. And, yeah. you know, they might come out and do a clover plot at night because, you know, clover's good, but they just, they just don't, that's not their food source like they they don't need it you know um out in the midwest you just they they're just so much more used to feeding and field it's where they get a lot of food you know whether it be corn or soy or or food plots or or something of that nature like they they are used to getting food there um and i've noticed up here you can kind of train your deer a little bit in the sense where if you have a food plot for years and years and years like those younger deer will start to sort of grow up with that sort of plot in their bag of tricks. And they might frequent it more than if you just stuck a random food plot in the woods, a big old box is going to be like, what is this? Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like this is, this isn't my jam. Like I didn't grow up on this. This isn't me, you know? Yeah. Um, So I think plots are, they're, they're great. You know I mean? I love just watching does and fawns and 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 turkeys and whatever else wants to be out there eating um i like you know making sure the deer have options and you know if it makes them healthier that's great you know and and so you know i'm a i'm I'm all about plots but i mean we've never we've never killed a mature buck on a food plot no i mean it's that way here in michigan a lot too and and I, i think a lot of it has to do with the pressure um like every any your average hunter here, his idea of a place to hunt is, you know, find a field, hunt a field edge. And um, that guy is just not going to shoot the big buck because that buck is, you know, only got to be that big by not showing up on field edges at that time of day. Yeah. 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 And, you know, that, that deer, that deer is also holding, you know, he's the king, right? So he's holding, he's holding whatever the best piece of ground is sort yeah. of that's his territory. You know, that, that's, that's how he got, you know, king, king status. And so, you know, he, the best piece of ground isn't a field edge. Right. You know, the best piece of ground is some thicket back in the woods where he can hide and, you know, play, play out his game. Yeah. See people coming if they're coming, has plenty of food and water and, and tucked away somewhere where you'll never see him. And he, and he knows that the food in the field is there at night. You know, yeah. it's not going anywhere. So, you know, he can just flip out there after dark and do his deal and go back in. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, unless he's chasing a hot doe and he's being an idiot or, you know, <laughs> yeah. something bumps him out of his bedroom and he, he comes by maybe or whatever. Well, and part of part of hunting the rut is, you know, part of our discussion here is the rut. Uh, and and part, of, part of what's so great about the rut is you can bank on a little bit of their them being idiots, right? You know, one time a year where they're they're just not quite as savvy as when they as what they used to usually are. Yeah, the rut's interesting. You know, I mean it's it it can be amazing and it can also be it's just it's just unpredictable. You don't really know, like right. I guess like up here, up here with such being such big woods, yeah. you know, like you can't. You can't sit a field edge and like see bucks chasing does running across the field because they just like there's no fields up here or not you know what I mean. Yep. Um, and then like you know you guys 
you know, out, out in the Midwest. I mean, I know you're up in Michigan, which is a little different, but, yeah. you know, mid true like Midwest areas, you know, they're like, oh man, like, you know, there's this, this big chunk of wood, you know, and, and they're talking about like 50 acres. Right, right, exactly. You know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, so like, you, you know, you know that your big buck is probably in this block of woods or in this CRP field. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking 50 acres, you know, or maybe less, 20 acre piece of wood. Yeah. Here, like my the big deer that I'm after, you know, I, I mean we we've, we've got areas that you know we're hunting that's two thousand acres of woods. Yeah. Yep. Not like solid woods, you know, or or bigger. But I mean this area that I think he might be in is like could be two thousand acres. Yeah. Well, that's tough. That we we deal with the same stuff here where you know Jared and I at least do where we hunt. It's like. First of all, I, I would imagine probably because of the a bad buck to doe ratio. I mean, we rare. I mean, I do see it on occasion, but not nearly as much as even in you know, say Wisconsin or, or Illinois or, or even Ohio, right all around us. But g- given our buck to doe ratio, like the rut is not as intense. It's you know, you'll see some chasing, you'll, you'll see it on occasion, but rarely do you see a big old buck still running out like an idiot. I mean, uh, the, the, my biggest one on the wall is an exception of it. Uh, but for the most part, it's like you'll see like a year and a half, maybe a two and a half year old buck running around. But I rarely am seeing like a mo- monster bucks, you know, every day cruising and, and things like that. Well, I can tell you in 20 years of, of hunting in Maine, I've never shot or seen a big buck running after a doe. Right. Yep. In 20, you know, in 20 years. So, um, I've seen a couple of, like you were saying, younger bucks, uh, maybe even, you know, two to maybe even like three to four year olds like yep. a few times. But I mean, you know, uh, five, six, seven, eight year old deer running after a doe, that's yet to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That hasn't happened yet. Well, what, what, what you guys are doing though, and it's, every time you say it, it just like, it makes me smile. Like there's not a lot of people out there that are saying, well, you know, five, six, seven, eight, they're like for, for the majority of people, like three and a half, four and a half is an old buck. Um, so like what you guys are doing, I mean, it, it's pretty unique. Not, not a lot of people are, are classifying the, their buck ages, uh, you know, anything past four and a half years old. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and I, and I understand that for sure. Age class up here is just like skewed a little because we've got so much area for them to live and, right. and, and not a ton of hunters and, and, a, and a lot of big woods. Yeah. And these deer, once these deer get to, you know, four years old, they start to get pretty, pretty good at it and they're pretty smart. And, right. And, and a lot of hunters just, they're not in the right spot or, you know, they're not hunting enough days to sort of, you know, increase their odds enough to, to pull it off. Yeah. Um, so we've got, I mean, well, you know, last year dad shot a 12 and a half year old. Yeah. <laughs> and I shot an eight and a half year old. Yeah. So, you know, and now those are, those were literally our two targets. I mean, those are our two bucks we wanted the most. It was Goliath, was it Goliath and the one of the tines, right? Uh, yeah, brow brow times the one I shot, and then Bigfoot. Bigfoot, that's what it was. Bigfoot, yeah, those are awesome. Yeah, Dad shot Bigfoot, and Bigfoot was, I mean, these ages are uh, estimates, I guess you could say, but we've followed Bigfoot for six years, and and brow time for five years. Yeah. So 
you know, we pretty much knew what they were, you know, in their sort of younger age and watched them grow up through it. Um, so, you know, most, almost always when we estimate, we send, we send teeth in, you know, and get them aged and we're always within, you know, we, we almost always get it right. Yeah. Right. Our estimate. Um, but you know, Bigfoot was, you know, 200 plus pounds and 140 inches, uh, six years ago. Right. So, you know, six years later, he's, he's, he's 11 or 12 years old. Yeah. Um, and same with Browtine, you know, five years later, he, you know, he was four when we started on him and, and we shot him, you know, four or five years later and he's eight and a half. So, um, that, and you know, right now, right now we're chasing, uh, right off the top of my head. I can think about, um, deer that I know are are double digit uh i know two right now that i know are 10 plus um i think there's even more than that but i don't think there's any more than that so like two two bucks i know of right now are 10 plus years old do you have names for them um yeah one's called mossy and one's called six nice do you guys name all your bucks or just the, the unique ones pretty much i sent you six that picture yeah six, yeah right you did you called it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that that's six yeah. So I've, so he's, I mean, he's nuts, man. I've known about six for seven years now. So I started following him when he was three year old, you know? Um, and he's 10 now, you know, and never, I mean, you know, I've never seen him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it sounds crazy to say, Oh man, like after seven years, you got a better, you know, better chance, whatever. But I, I, I found an area that, that, seems to be working. I mean, I've got more pictures of them than I've ever had. Um, and it's just a totally new spot. So I think I kind of found at least something that's closer to his home core, you know? Yeah. Um, and that tonight he was there at six o'clock, which is, it was a dark night because it's a storm right now and raining, but that was technically like 15 minutes before the end of legal. Yeah. So, I mean, he was moving in, in you know, legal hours. So, I mean, you know, so it's, it's, we're, we're sort of zeroing in on that. That's really one of the cool things about like following these deer for years, you know, I mean, you mm-hmm. really start to like, start to figure, like you, you learn them, you know, yeah. you get to know their personality almost. Yeah. Personality and just what, you know, over the years, what worked and what didn't work. And you kind of need that. You kind of need that amount of time up here. Yeah. Um, it, there's just so much available woods and and you know terrain for them to to do their thing and their ranges are so much you know sort of bigger and so it's just it's really hard to sort of pinpoint and you know like get get the right information i guess to figure out how to you know intersect yeah um it, it just i know i mean i know i've, I've hunted the midwest I've, I've hunted i used to manage a farm down in maryland for a couple of years it was like 1200 acres and we hunted it like i mean we lived down there and it was six you know six months of hunting season so i mean we hunted six months basically right great um so you know i knew i mean i learned a lot about all that so that was similar at you know ag ag terrain down there yeah um and you know i've hunted the midwest I've, I've done all that and it's like it's just totally different you know like these you know these deer you know like they, they might be living, you know, and, and like I said, like 50 acre piece of woods and, you know, maybe there's a CRP field over here and whatever. And it's like, you pretty much know every day, like he's bedded inside those 
parameter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I have no freaking idea. Like, I don't like half the time. I don't know if he's, if he's, you know, on the same thousand acres that I think he is. Right. I mean, you have so much space to work with. It's like, you're really crossing off areas before you can even dial into where he could be. I've got multiple times. I've got pictures of the same box, uh, you know, over five miles apart. Yeah. So, you know, that, that shot a box called the Ranger and, uh, we didn't know him for too long. We kind of locked into, we locked into him a little bit in the sense that we, we, we got, we got a really good head start on his home core area. Yeah. Um, we went in there, set a camera up, it's basically late season, set a camera up, actually pulled it after the season, got a picture of him, said, Oh wow, this is a really big box. We should, we should try to figure him out next year. Um, and it just so happened that that was like his home core. I mean, we just, we just nailed it. Like we put a camera right in his bedroom. Yeah. And so next, the next year, you know, we, we got the fortune of just being able to hunt into his home court. But like, I don't know, it was like 10 days before dad shot him. Uh, we got pictures of him like five and a half miles away. He's just all over the place. Like he has anywhere he can, he wants to go. But I mean, think about that. Like five and a half miles of great solid wood. <laughs> state forest the whole way the options between where he died and where he was 10 days ago i mean the options on where you could sit to think you're going to run into him yeah you know um it's just it, it's it's almost unimaginable the amount of options that he, the, the, the routes he could have taken between a and b you know yeah so um and then to think that you're going to you know hit that on the right day during daylight hours it's like you got to be kidding me Hey, we wanted to take a quick break here from the conversation to thank a couple of our sponsors who helped make this show possible. One of the reasons why James and I love hunting so much is because we get to share our wild game with other people. But we need to be able to do it that's easy and reliable every time. Gorilla Grills is a local company here in West Michigan based in Holland. One of the great things about them is they ship the grill directly to you. There's no middleman, no big box store, so they're able to make a superior product at a better price point. The food and the smoke quality that's coming off this grill is unbelievable. We've received so many compliments on it already. So if you guys want to find out more about what Mark and his team are doing over there, head over to GorillaGrills.com to order your new grill. Now a proud partner of Boga Hunting, the American-owned, veteran-owned, Wisconsin-based Vortec Optics Company designs, engineers, produces, and distributes a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Dedicated to providing unrivaled customer service and exceptional quality, Vortex backs its products with an unconditional transferable lifetime VIP warranty. So if you guys want a glass with the best, head over to VortexOptics.com and use promo code BOGA20 for 20% off. Thanks for listening, and let's jump back in. Yeah, it's just total, it almost feels like luck. You know, you're just kind of, at some point, you're, you're lucking into it. For sure. But, you know, that was a perfect case of you've got to be where he lives. Like, yeah. if you want to shoot a specific, if you want to shoot a specific deer, you, you've got to be in, in his home core area. And that's usually like, you know, a couple hundred acres, something like that. Um, 
but he'll make these big, you know, these big roamer, these big roamer loops, especially during the rut, and he'll be, you know, five miles away, and you might be hunting him right here, and he's five miles away. Right. Um, and you know, a lot of a lot of guys too will get pictures of a buck, you know, once, and they are like, oh my god, it's huge buck, and you know, like I'm gonna hunt him and 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 yeah. everything, and you know, he was just on one of his loops. He probably won't come back till next year. Yeah. He probably won't make that loop again until next November. Yeah. Well, and that's where that, that almost that generational or that, that year knowledge comes into play. So at least you can take that information into the next year and say, well, I saw him here now. Yeah. Like that was something that happened with, um, with brow time a little bit. Um, you know, he started to, he started, he started to show up consistently. I started to figure out with him that I wasn't in his home core. Um, and he would come through sort of the area that I was hunting, but he would come through like usually around November 15th. Yep. And he might spend like a week in there and then he would sort of disappear again. And this sort of got more defined in old age. Yep. Like when he was younger, when he was younger, he spent more time. Maybe he just roamed more in general, but he was more often was in my area where I was hunting. Yeah. And I was, you know, as he got older, like especially like, you know, seven and eight years old, he started to just really not show up very much, yeah. except for like November fifteenth to like the twenty fifth. Um, and so I sort of decided eventually last year, you know, he showed up like on on cue. It was like November fifteenth, and I was like, okay, he, I didn't even have a single photo of him, like not one. I didn't even know if he was alive. Right. And so I got the picture. And I was like, okay, he's alive. And, you know, I spent a couple days hunting him in sort of my normal area, which, you know, I knew I, I ended, I did it funny after I killed him, I pulled the camera like right in where I was hunting and I got a picture of him. Like, you know, at the same time I was hunting in there, like he was at night, but he was in there, you know? And so, I mean, I, I did know, like, I, I was right in the sense that he, he was going to be in there for four or five days, but that was, that was it. After a couple of days, I was like, all right, I've, I've missed him, whatever. He's not going to be here anymore. And so I need to go find him. So I ended up making a big move. And, you know, these are just things that happen and, and the ways, the ways that it works. But it turned out that a piece of property opened up, permission opened up on a piece of property right sort of near yep. where I had been hunting brow time. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go in there and scout it out and see if I can find any sign. And maybe that's where brow time is. So, you know, I went in there, ended up finding a whole bunch of deer sign, you know, a bunch of rubs, a bunch of scrapes, like big scrapes. Everything looked really good. Yep. I was like, there's for sure, there's for sure a big buck in here. I don't know if it's brow time, but there's definitely a big deer. Um, and all the sign was fresh. So I was like, I got to get in here and hunt it. And, uh, so, you know, dad and I went in, you know, this was all on that, you know, the sea bucks video, but yep. dad and I went in that morning, he ended up seeing a big deer out of the swamp. Didn't know who it was. Just saw that it was, you know, big rack and just disappeared. Yeah. And so, you know, I made a move, got around on him and set a stand and, you know, he stood up in the swamp, walked right to me and it was brow time. You know, it was the first time I'd ever seen him in five years, but that sort of, it took five years of sort of putting puzzle pieces together to, to sort of like, you know, under, 
to sort of put the you know the idea that you know he's not necessarily living right here um you know and and i think he was living in that swamp like 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 he was in that swamp a lot yeah um but i never i never knew it i never went over there i never figured it out until you know until until years of sort of studying the the photos and and figuring out that you know he's not living here like he's not living here we need to find where he's living and yeah, he did he and he killed him yeah so you know finding his you know you know like public you know like the hunting public guys you know they always talk about like fuck bedrooms or whatever yeah you know you gotta find you gotta find his bedroom like you gotta find where he's living sleeping yeah. you know he, he stood up i didn't watch him stand up but he disappeared out in the swamp all of a sudden like he was bedded yeah he stood up somewhere in there he, yeah, he's literally, I mean, I set that stand, and he was bedded within 200 yards of where I set the stand. Yeah. And he just stood up and started walking right to me, and he died within, you know, 100 yards of his bed or whatever, you know? Yeah, they just don't move much when they don't have to, and, and it makes total sense. You know, if I'm a buck, that's what I would do. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, it's a great spot. I don't think anyone, I don't think a single person that hunted in there for years like, yeah. I don't think anyone had been in that swamp for the last five years. Like, I don't even know if anyone had even walked in there, let alone hunted in there. Right. So, you know, why wouldn't he be in there? Like, it's a great spot. You know, like, he, he, he's been walking around in there and hasn't smelled a single human foot in years. Well, we've talked about it on the podcast here before, but it's like, it's like looking, it's like dropping ink blots on a napkin, right? And if you think about it, that is people sent, whenever people hunt, just drop a blot and it kind of spreads out a little bit, a lot, a little bit. And when you look at the napkin, you can kind of see the cracks where none of them are connecting. And if you do that where people are hunting, I mean, you're going to find that little pocket of where deer are like, why? I mean, for them, it's really a simple uh, survival skill. It's where do I go where I'm not smelling people? I'm just going to go there. And it's, you know, it's not rockets. They're not like these brilliant, you know, creatures. It's just they, they know, like, no scent, no people. I'm going there. Yeah, so I've got I've got a, a situation. You, you brought up cameras, and I this is another question I had for you. Um, so I've got a spot that I found that's almost kind of, it's public land. It's a part of a couple hundred acres that butts up against private lands. Actually, it has two fields that kind of, L, like, that L around the corner of it. Right, and so last year I, I hunted it twice saw uh like a little couple little bucks some does um and one time somebody else was in there and blew them out i could hear you know I, i'm up in my tree and i hear a deer kind of maybe 200 300 yards away blowing like crazy someone had, had blown them out but in the, in the summer that year i had gotten a ton of pictures of bucks um and it's a spot that i don't think people hit very much um or at least where i'm headed right so um a couple a uh, week ago week two weeks ago something like that i threw uh a trail camera out it was kind of rainy i thought i'm gonna put this trail camera out my initial plan was to put it out and then come pick it up like the one time that i was gonna maybe hunt out there you know now like i said i, I don't have a ton of intel i have there's a lot of great rubs along the swamp that's between that's it kind of goes swamp uh, hardwood and then the hardwoods are maybe 70 yards in in length or, or girth with whatever before you get to a field right and so I, I there's tons of rubs on the, the edge of that swamp um i threw a camera kind of in a low spot where i thought maybe they'd kind of sneak out into a you know where, where people on publicly and aren't really going to go hunt them um do i 
pick up that camera when I go out or do I just leave it and just give it a whole year or, you know, wait till the end of the year and pick it up? Uh, what, what, like if I, if you were me, what, what, how would you approach that? Um, I mean, how much damage are you doing going in there? That's, I, I feel like in Michigan, if you go in, if I were to go in right now, the only other time I'm going to see deer, if I'm, I mean, I'll go in there and I'll do this on public land, go get aggressive and know that, you know, this spot is blown for a couple of weeks. Um, then, you know, the next time deer are going to be moving through there will be probably the rut because, you know, at that point, kind of, they've forgotten about that kind of thing. There's, uh, there's two, there's two sides to that coin, I guess, you know, I mean, yeah. fresh knowledge is, is the best knowledge. Yeah. Um, in terms of knowing, you know, like that a buck is doing something, but the problem is, you know, with regular cameras is you might go in there and he's been doing it for a week. Yeah. And he's now done. Yeah, right. He's he's uh, and done with his loop, like you said before. Yeah, and and this happens to us all the time on scrapes. Like you put a camera out, and you you know go check it two three weeks later, and you're like, oh my god, all these blocks are hitting the scrape, and now they're done. Yeah, like they did it. It's over. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so you get all excited, and then you know you sit there, or you or you continue to run the camera there, and you realize yeah. there's no longer doing it anymore. Um. You know, it's the the seasons are are short. You yeah. know, like like you know, pre rut is only so long, and right. and the rut is only so long, and post rut so, so it's like you know, one week makes a huge difference. So the deer might be doing something one week, and the next week, you know, it's a different phase, and yeah. they're not doing it. And so, so you know, if you leave it for the whole year, you might you might be able to enact on that information for next year um and you know if you don't go in there and spook them you're going to get like the true information you know you're going to get the the proper information right right? um so the deer are going to are going to do what they're going to do without you know being afraid of 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 you being in there yeah um and you know then you can say well there was a big buck and he came out here three times you know between you know, October 20th and the 25th, you know, like, and, and as long as that deer is still alive, you know, he might do that again next year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess I, I can see both sides. I mean, you know, I got aggressive with brow time and I went in there, it was, you know, mid, you know, mid to late November. And, you know, I went walking in through his bedroom. Right. And if I didn't do that, I would have never killed him. Did you go out there and find it on that walk and just post up somewhere in there? Uh, basically, it was it was a day I hunted in the morning, yeah. um, and it, it snowed a little bit, and I thought, you know, I'm just gonna kind of walk, and it was kind of quiet to walk, and I knew the snow was gonna melt, yeah. Um, so I knew my scent was gonna kind of get washed out, so I just said, you know, I'm gonna take the rest of the day and I'm gonna walk a bunch of ground because we just kind of weren't on it, we weren't finding, we weren't. We weren't in the right spots, and the, and the spots we had just weren't hot. So I ended up walking two different spots that day. I got out of my stand, and I walked um, an area that we're now hunting this year because I found it, and it was really good. Yeah. And so we've got a bunch of stuff just from that walk developing for this year. And then I went to, to a whole different place, a whole different property, and ended up walking in and finding all that sign from brow time and you know scrapes and rubs and trails all that stuff and i knew i said we need you know we seem to be in here 
Yeah. But I knew that my scent was going to wash out because the snow was melting, you right. know. But, but I walked. I mean, I walked right through it. Like I went in there, and I was like, "What? You know, what's the worst that's going to happen?" I guess at this point, because I don't know anything about this area. Right. If there's no sign in there. There's no sign. It's kind of a hail mary, almost. Yeah. It, yeah, it was kind of a hail mary, and it, and it, and it totally worked out. So, it, you know, in the, I mean, another story. This was just from last year too. I mean, there's so much to learn from from every year, but like we we put a lot of eggs in a basket on a scrape. Yeah. Um, and Josh hunted this buck mossy for like almost two weeks straight hunting the scrape. Yeah. I mean, you know, almost every day. And um, the year before, it was really the scrape was really hot. And, um, during this time period. So Josh was like, listen, I'm going to friggin' hunt this thing for two weeks straight. Cause yeah. last year it was hot right in this period. It was like kind of like late October. Um, the scrape is up on a ridge, typical, typical community scrape, you yeah. know, the whole nine. And, um, down on, below the ridge, a little ways, there's a, a really good oak grove. And yeah. th- we just overlooked this because what happened was the year before the scrape was really good. There was no, almost no acorn that year. Last year it was loaded with oaks, loaded with acorns. And that scrape just wasn't the same. I mean, they were, you know, they hit it, but yeah. they didn't hit it like they did the they year shifted before. A little bit. Yeah. They shifted and they were down in those oaks and we never, we were trying to be super cautious. We didn't want to walk. Like we were just like only walk to the stand like, don't walk around, don't spread any scent, because eventually, you know, if he doesn't pick up on us, like, he's going to hit the scrape, and we're going to shoot him. Right. Well, if we had just walked down into those oaks, we would have realized we were missing it. Because he's we all went in, in there. there, like, we went in there late season, and it was shredded, like, like scrapes and rubs and just, like, sign everywhere. Yep. And it was like, oh, my God, like, we were literally, like, 300 yards from here, sitting in the wrong spot, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, we didn't, we didn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't figure that out till it was too late. You know, it was like the end of the season. So, yeah. um, so that was a mistake. Not walking around was a mistake. Um, we needed to have done a little, like we needed to pick a rainy day or whatever and do a little walk. And we would have found all that sign and we would have, you know, shifted. Um, I don't know if we would have killed anything, but we would have been in a better spot. You'd have better intel. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so that was a big takeaway from last year was, you know, like, you can't rely on a spot that was maybe good the year before. No. You just can't totally rely on it. You know, it, everything, you know, so many variables that change, you know, and, and deer, you can find, you know, we were talking about that ranger buck and, you know, like he had, he lived in, in that couple hundred acres and he had like a whole, a whole laid out sort of routine of like, scrapes and and sign that when he died disappeared you know interesting like like yeah like network like disappeared yeah Yeah, it was like his this is like his thing and when he died like a lot of that stuff not all of it but a lot of it 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 disappeared and so you know you might be hunting a scrape right that was like you know a certain buck was making and and you know someone else shot him and, and now he's dead and, you know, like it was just, that was, that was kind of his, his thing, yeah. you know? Um, so you just can't rely like, you know, on a spot year after year after year. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of guys that will sit, you know, like they've got their stand, you know? Yeah. And they'll sit their stand like, uh, you know, a hundred times. And, 
And it's like, you know, some there's, there's something to that. If you sit the same spot for a hundred freaking days in a row, eventually there's going to be one that comes through there. Yeah, right. so there is something to, there is something to that. If you're really persistent, but some years that spot's just going to naturally be better than others. Yep. Um, and you know, you just, you have to kind of like find what's good, you know, at a given year. Yeah. Um, I've got a spot right now that I was hunting this morning and, you know, um, two years ago, I don't think there was a shooter buck in there. Um, I never got a picture of one. Um, and there was a couple of younger bucks, but nothing over, um, nothing over three years old, you know? Yeah. And, uh, this year, you know, this was two years ago and this year there's uh, three, three shooters in there, three, five-year-olds. So, you know, that's it's a two year difference, you know? And so it's, it's one of our like best spots right now in terms of like getting, you know, pictures of big deer. Yeah. Like they're, they're in there and I mean, they're in there in daylight. Like, like, I mean, we've kind of like, I don't want to say screwed up, but like we, we kind of should have one dead by now. Right. Just because they've been in there and we, we kind of missed it <laughs> yep. a little bit. Um, it's just been kind of a weird, uh, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a weird start to the season, but there's been some good opportunity in there to kill the buck already. Um, it's just interesting that that spot two years ago, like I wouldn't have, there's no way I would have sat back there. Of course, you know, there's bucks from five miles away that'll probably make a loop and run through there during the rut. Yeah, right, right. But, you know, there's no home core bucks in there. There wasn't. No, you can't, you can't rely on a spot and you can't write a spot off year after year. I would say that's that's a takeaway, you know? Well, and it's, it's funny how that is. And, like, you speak a little bit to, like, the randomness of the rut. Uh, like, so, for example, I so I've got, I call it the back three. I live on three acres, and, and I actually work from home. Uh, and so my plan is, because bucks will, there's a group of does that live in my woods, right? And, uh, you know, I'll hunt and shoot probably one of them this year. Um, but the rest I'm going to just let and hunt by the window, uh, work by the window, like, because I'll have bucks regularly, you know, randomly, uh, cruise through my year, uh, yard every year at, at a weird time. You know, I look out and it's like, oh, there's like a fork just, you know, rubbing a tree at, it's 1030 on a, you know, Wednesday and it's just out my window. Um, but it's like, there's no predicting it and there's no, you know, for at least for for where I'm at, it's just truly like when a buck has the you know the itch and decides to head this way. So uh, I know you've got um, you've got a, a late early late flight to Wisconsin. So I don't want to keep you too much longer. Uh, what do you get? Actually, what while you know while we're on the topic, what are you doing out in Wisconsin? Um, well, I'm filming filming Donnie uh, doing white you know whitetail stuff. I think we're we're going to do a little bit of stuff in Wisconsin, like right when I first get there. And then I think we're going to drive down to Illinois. Um, Donnie's got a piece um, down there that, you know, we'll be hunting this year. So, okay. um, kind of, uh, I guess pre rut sort of scouting preparation for the rut. And then maybe, you know, for finding good, good sign and, you know, whatnot, we might do some hunting too. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of a little, a little bit of, of everything, just prep, prepping for November and whatnot going to be a really good area in um in late like late season too there's just a lot of really good food there and stuff so yeah. it should be you know if, if nothing happens in november like january like december and january are going to be really good too. yeah that's awesome is, is it going to be steve three is it steve 3.0 is it 3.0 now that you guys are on 
Yeah, that, well, no, it's different. From, totally, I mean, obviously those were in North Dakota. But, yeah. Um, we don't really have a deer. You know, there's really no deer in mine. Um, like I said it's a new property um, that Donnie's getting on this year, so we really don't know what's there. Not, you know, I mean, we've got some pictures, I guess, of some stuff, but we it's sort of new. Now, when you when you're hunting with Donnie, is it is it, and he goes the way that he goes about hunting. Is it different than the way you go about and you have to, like, adjust? How, how does that work? Like Donnie's style? Yeah, style. Um, I, I mean, we're we're pretty in sync, you know. We've been hunting, I mean, obviously we've been doing this for 10 years. Right. Um, and he, he hasn't hunted very much of anything that I haven't been there, you know, in his <laughs> pocket, you know. So um, our styles are, are they, they mesh. I mean, obviously he's got, you know, more Midwest hunting technique out there than i do here yep um but he loves this big woods type stuff i mean it's like he he's been talking i think he's going to come here this year um for a week and hunt with us um yeah he's you know he grew up in uh connecticut oh really okay so yeah so and and his dad he's come up to maine you know every november like with his buddies for a week and they you know hunt big woods and yeah. Um, they never shot anything. Um, drink his, dad, beers. His, dad, his dad isn't a, uh, very, very good hunter really, but they, they would come up and, you know, chase deer around. And, uh, so, you know, Donnie was here, uh, you know, as a kid and stuff. And so, I mean, this was kind of where he rooted, honestly, Maine is, is one of the places that sort of rooted him and, and like sort of the outdoors. Okay. Um, he used to come up with his dad in the summer and they'd go like, uh, fly fishing for brookies. And, oh yeah. You know, he never really, never really went on the hunting trips. By the time he got sort of of age, they moved out west. Um, yeah. But fishing and, and exploring and stuff, they used to come up here and do, do you know, trips. So he's, he's been really wanting to get up here and, and chase some of these big deer. Um, so hopefully we'll make that happen this year. We'll see. Well, the way you guys make it look, it looks looks like a lot of fun. And the reason I ask is, you know, we have so Jared and I, you know, and I mentioned before, normally Jared's here. His uh, he's just a weaker member of the uh, podcast duo. He went down to COVID, so you know, I'm, I'm left standing here, uh, carrying the weight of this podcast on my broad shoulders. Uh, but the, the the reason I I say it is, Jared and I hunt very similar. Uh, but we we also have Mark who who does a lot of our photography, uh, videography, and and he's kind of like the third member of our trio. But he is he's different. He hunts you know more private land, and he is much bigger into things like scent control. Where I was like, well, I feel like if we would hunt together, you know, he he almost has to come down to our level because you know it's easier to be stinky than for us to go and, and be totally scent free the way he does. Dolly and I are very sync with like the sort of what we think is is the, the way to do it i guess yeah yep. <laughs> um yeah, we, we're, we're both sort of on the same page with that um we don't you know i, I mean you know i'm sure you've seen pictures of him he isn't wearing any camouflage anymore um you know doesn't really go down that scent control road and all that stuff and yeah. just kind of hunt um and we do pretty much the same thing up here in maine yeah um you know we just play the wind like, right you know, we 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 we've done so much mountain hunting. You can't. There's, there's no scent control. No, like you're gonna stink at some point. Yeah, you're living in a tent for sometimes up to like two or three weeks. You know, and you know, and we were on an elk hunt once. It was like, you know, 
eighties, nineties, and we were out there for like eighteen days. You're right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you gonna do? You know, what are you gonna do for ten games all? You know. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's put the wind in your face and hunt. Yeah. Um, and everything, you know, you live and die by the wind. And so you know, that's that's kind of the way we roll here. I mean, we're not. You know, we keep our hunting clothes, you know, in a separate spot from the rest of our stuff and, you know, whatever. But, right. that's, you know, about as far as, you know, I'm not going to go fill my truck up and get gas on myself when I'm, you know, right. you know, stuff like that. But, um, you know, try to just smell, I guess, like the woods the best we can and, and keep the wind in our face. Right. Well, and it's, you know, we've talked about this a bunch, but like, I don't know, it's a lot of work to be totally scent free, you know. It's just a lot of messing around. It's like the tracks away from, yeah, for me at least, just uh, spending time hunting. Like that whole simplicity of like a traditional bow, you know. Yeah. It's, it's like sort of free, you know. It is. Um, I I mean I took mine out the other day and you know, for the first time, kind of like, and it's just like so much sort of easier, you know. I mean yep. you're just you're carrying a wooden stick and some arrows. Right. You right. Know? That's it. And, uh, you know, you're relying on your fingers, and if you lose your tab, you can probably shoot bare fingers the same way. You lose your release, and you're kind of screwed, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, there's just, not, there's just a lot. It's simplifying the process at times can make you more successful. Yeah. Um, because you're not worried, you know, you're just not worried about it. You don't have as many gadgets and as much stuff and, and as, you know, many things to worry about. Um, you can just go. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was, you know, hunting with Josh and he, he's been shooting recurve too. And so I, I, you know, went in the woods with him and we sort of just stripped down. We went in as light as possible. And, uh, you know, normally we're bringing stands and, and arms and extra lenses and camera equipment and, and, you know, compound bow and, and all the gadgets, all the stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we just went in and it was, you know, he had his recurve. And we were hunting in this like cool spruce tree that you could literally just stand on branches. Yep. And, you know, we had, you climb, you climb up, you know, the branches to get into it. And so we had, you know, no stand, no stick. And, you know, I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to freehand the camera. I'm not bringing an arm. Right. I mean, we literally walked in there with a recurve and camera. <laughs> that was it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, climbed up in a tree and hunted, you know? And it was just like, you know, the simplest, the simplest thing. You know, it was just nice to just have that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's even just getting up and down a tree. I, I, you know, for a while, um, I spent a long time hunting on the ground. Um, and there was some of the simplicity where sometimes I'd bring one of those little mesh, camo mesh things to have to, to have for a little cover. But I just sit on the ground or, you know, bring out a little, you know, folding, a little fold-up chair, uh, heel and axe chair, and it, was, it worked pretty well. Yeah. I'm not very good at sitting on the ground. Um, I don't know. I just don't, like... I know that it works. I yeah. just love being up in trees. It's it's um, nice to see. I yeah. There's many times where I'm like, you know, I could just kill this deer the same way being on the ground right here, but I just like like I enjoy sitting up in trees. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, I, I I I don't you know heights aren't don't bother me, and, and I love trees, and I just like to be up in them. It's just cool to be yeah. up there. Yeah. So it just it just feels better to me. Um, but I, there's a lot of spots where ground hunting is better, yeah. you know? Um, so it just depends on the situation, I suppose. Just for me personally, like I, 
I like being up in the trees. Yeah. Um, not necessarily like it's making me more successful. It's just cool to be up there. Yeah. It's, that's, that's a, that's a good point. Like it, it's just an interesting look at the woods. And I feel like when you're up there, you can get away. I mean, you can get away with a lot more. Um, you are like way less likely to get, you know, pegged. Are you guys, you're hunting out of a stand? Are you saddle or what's your, uh, what are you walking, going up in? One of the things that led to, has led to a lot of success and sort of built the strategy has been um, our, our portable stands. And I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Lock-On, like the original tree stand maker, Lock-On. Yeah, your dad was telling me about it. Yeah, yeah. They made a stand called the Windwalker. And it's sort of like this little quiet little cult following, right? Yeah. Um, for, you know, they don't make them anymore. So it's like, you know, I could probably sell it for a bunch of money or something. Like right, that. right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, we've, you know, we've each got, you know, one that sort of our, our we, we have a few more than one each, but we each have one that's sort of our, like, you know, prized possession. Yeah. Um, and it's, a, you know, it, it's tiny. And it's super light. I mean, it's, it's, it's up until this point. I mean, the, the new lone wolf custom gear, like 0.5 stand. Yeah. Like that's probably now a better stand. But up until then, I, I don't think there's ever been a better stand ever made. Right. Um, personally for like portable hunting. I mean, the thing weighed very little. It was very small and you could fit it in like almost any tree, you know? Yep. And, um, we were able to carry that thing in, you know, back when people weren't really doing the portable thing that much, like we were doing it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it gave us that flexibility to walk into a spot in the dark, set a stand and hunt out of it. Yep. Um, and then, you know, pull it down at the end of the day and walk home. Uh, and so we've had those stands for 25 years. Um, and they've changed, you know, like they've, built us into something that you know we maybe otherwise wouldn't have become yeah that's interesting um, so very special to us i guess i mean you know like i said if i ever lost that stand i wouldn't be very happy you'd be a bum you'd be uh, bummed <laughs> oh yeah I, mean, I shot so many gear off that thing and you know a lot of memories in there um i shot brow time off of it no. you know just last year you know carried it in there and got up in that big oak and put it up there and we were like 45 feet off in the tree <laughs> And, uh, you know, shot brows out in that big swale swamp. So, yeah. you know, it's been really important to us. I, I do, uh, I haven't tried one myself, but those lone wolves look awesome. They do. You know, those new, those new point fives, um, you know, they look really sweet. They definitely, um, will hang in a more screwed up tree than our lock-ons will. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've not, I've not tried will. them yet. Yeah. The way that they're designed, um, and the adjustability that they have, uh, the lock-ons kind of don't have. But we we didn't really struggle with that that much here in the, in, in Maine because we have a lot of straight trees, you know, just because we're so heavily forested that our trees often will grow more straight. Straight up, um, right. It's not like the crooked, the crooked hedgerow type things you get more out in the Midwest, you yeah. know. Um, so you know, straight trees, you know, it was easy to hang stand because they're just straight. Yeah, um, right. So the adjustability wasn't too big of a deal, but I do. I can tell that if you had a crooked tree, you'd be a lot happier with that stand. Right. Um, but it's the first stand that I've seen, you know, that like really took on weight, you know, it's like, crazy. It took that long. I, I, I it is totally crazy, but there, 
comparable. I don't know the exact specs, but I mean, I, I think the lock-ons are similarly weighted to the to the new Lone Wolf point five. Which, yeah, to think that twenty five thirty years, no one ever made it stand lighter right. than that. Right, like, right. It's kind of crazy, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they took that on and they look great. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm hopefully going to get my hands on one at some point. Yeah, well, I mean, the portability and the ability just to go, and it's, like you said, it's, and we've talked about this with, with a few guys in the podcast, where it's like the ability to go out and read, sign, and adjust is, is huge, rather than, like you, you said earlier, where you're climbing up in the same spot 100 times in a row hoping. You know, instead, you can hunt where the, the sign is, and, and it just changes it changes everything, and it changes, you know, your whole style of hunting. And, and you know, to us, at least, I, I think it, it makes you a lot more successful. Absolutely. Yeah, and like, you know, up here, oftentimes a mile or two miles in, you know, yep. walk in, and, um, and it's year after year, it's just different, right? Like yep. I was saying, I mean, you got you to gotta adapt. You just can't, you can't have stands, you know, permanent stands everywhere. Right. You know, we, we, we carry in a lot because we have a lot of spots, and, and, you know, they might be dead for a couple of years, and then they heat up, and, and you know, we want to hunt them again. Yeah. Um, so carry in, carry in, carry out kind of thing works really well. Yeah. Well, William, we're, we're up on time here. Um, you've got a big flight. You've got uh, some, some prep to do and some time in Wisconsin. So I'll look forward to following you. But, you know, for, for people who are listening and who want to know more about you and some of the things you, your dad, and some, some of those guys are, are doing out in Maine, where, where can they find you? Yeah, well, so we're um, – started a, an instagram page it's pretty fresh right now um but it's called it's called hunting me hunting me which is main that's our instagram page that we started it's going to sort of you know carry a lot of, of what we're working on uh, my personal instagram is dp wild uh dad and josh have you know a couple different variations but hunting hunting me official that is the sort of name that we're going with for what we're trying to work on here yeah yeah, it's good stuff, and you guys, I mean, have made some really amazing uh, videos. So, I mean, obviously the stuff you've done with Donnie, but even, you know, your C-Bucks and some of the other stuff that you're, you guys are putting together is, is awesome. So everybody should should go check these guys out. Yeah, the C-Bucks stuff was fun. That was, you know, through Realtree and their and their app. Um, that's just now, all that stuff's now hitting, like, their um, YouTube channel, which is a little easier. Um, you know, some people are struggling, I guess, watching yeah. do that uh, with the app. Yeah, but everything... Almost all the episodes within a couple of weeks, I think, will be up on their YouTube channel. Um, and then, and then we will be sort of working on our own YouTube channel this year, and you know, running through that hunting, hunting me uh, tagline and everything. Excellent. Well, everybody should go check them out. Yeah, thank you again, William, for for coming on. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, a bunch of rambling. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's a lot to it. Um, it really is quite a process very uh very intricate yeah figuring out these big gear lots of time and lots of figuring yeah a lot of time and just a lot of effort you know the harder the harder you work the bigger the reward i guess yeah um and it's pretty much you pretty much have to work really hard to get any any big reward here that's just sure. the name of the game that's life yep all right man well thanks we'll uh, talk to you soon Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. If you 
guys like what you hear and want to follow along on what we're currently up to, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on and follow us on Instagram at Volga Hunting. Join us next week and we'll see you then.